We are Lone Star 187. Two sisters that love listening to true crime podcasts and decided to give this shit a try. Since we are Texas through and through, we will be researching murders across our Lone Star state. 187 is slang for the penal code for homicide. Since police codes are unique by city and county, we decided to simply use something that most people would get. We know this code isn't specific to Texas, but hey, we like it and it's our podcast, so we do what we want. Lone Star 187 most definitely contains elements that are not suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Unit setting up for that disturbance attack of the vehicle. Go ahead and reduce, but continue, reduce, but continue at once. Oh, my Case file 61, Casey Elliott. So, hey. Is this real? We are finally back. We have had so much trouble with our technical bullshit here, but we're good. I mean, we thought it was the equipment, and now we've come down to the realization that that it may be us. (laughs) Which is a hard pill to swallow, considering my sister is in the world of IT. Mm -hmm. I am not as tech savvy as she is, but... The two of us together, we still couldn't figure it out. But we think we may have gotten a workaround. Well, because we're recording and we can see it and we can hear it. And Wait. for right now. I'm sorry. I forgot. Who are you? Oh. Who am I? See? We're so out of scene. My name is Carrie. And I'm Brittany. And we are Lone Star 187. Yeah. I feel like we need like a... Like a welcoming party. Yeah, back. it seems we like were, forever. We were discussing it's been a while, and I'm like, well, we, we just recorded two episodes. We just released two episodes in March, but then we look back at our history, and technically this year, we haven't uploaded for seven months. The first three months of the year and the last four months. So yeah. now that we hopefully have a permanent workaround that we feel is going to work, you should be we should be going back to two episodes a month. Yes, you have our commitment. We missed it. It definitely wasn't that we didn't want to. No. We, we've also been very busy with all, just family stuff and just crazy busy, like everybody else. And it's been really freaking hot, too. So and Welcome, new listeners. Yes. Welcome to all of you that are new. We appreciate your support, and we're, we love that you love to listen to us. Mm-hmm. It's still surprising when people are like, oh, my God, I love listening to you guys so much. And I'm like, well, we're just sitting around bullshitting, but... I'm super glad that they like it. And it's only taken us, what, three years that we met our first real-life fan. We did. That was not family or friends. And it was completely unexpected, unplanned, Mm -hmm. which makes it even that much better. So um, if you don't follow us on Facebook, please do. We go live and we share memes. Uh, We also share updates of upcoming um, episodes, any news. If we're unable to record, we've been trying to keep people updated on when we're coming back. Um, and if you follow us, also follow us on Instagram, it's not as popular as Facebook because I still don't really know how to use Instagram as much as Facebook. You don't? No. I don't. It's okay. <laughs> I do. Just call me a, a boomer, I guess. Yeah. It's fine. But anyways, where are we traveling this week? So this week we are traveling to um, Possum Kingdom Lake area which is known as Palo Pinto County. I'm sorry, am I boring you? No, I, I was seeing the toadies in my head, sorry. 
All right, now I'm, I have to yawn because I'm not a psychopath, and when I see you, I have to, and now I need a drink, so. And then you just yawn, and I have to yawn. <clears throat> um, Palo Pinto County, uh, Possum, actually, it's kind of spread out, but it happens close to Possum Kingdom Lake area, Newcastle and Graham, Texas, all of that. It is January of 96, so it's not in the heat of summer, which is unusual, but okay. this is what, this is where we're at. So there is a retired farmer who is taking his daily walk, and um, he sees a, a set of tire tracks in the grass, and he thinks it's unusual. This is his property, so he hasn't been driving on it, so he's really not sure what's going on. So he's looking around and walking around, looking in his property, and he sees what he thought was a deer carcass. It's hmm? never just a carcass. Or what a else mannequin. is it not? It's never a mannequin. How many times have you heard someone just found a mannequin just on the side of the road? Um, like Macy's doesn't just like throw their mannequins mm-hmm. out, or like mm-hmm. Target isn't like, and hey, we're done with this one. Let's throw it in the field. Yeah. I mean, it would be a really funny joke. That would be funny. I mean, I'm just saying, but it's mean funny, but still. So, because he had previously had um, some poachers around his property, so he had to run them off. So maybe he thought, okay, well maybe they did kill something and left it. So, but I wrote. That, in fact, it was not a dead deer. It was a human torso. Oh. Yeah. Well, then I can see why he would think it was a deer. Yes. Just the torso? Like the trunk? Just the torso. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. So they call in. He calls the cops. Texas Rangers show up. Sheriff Carrie Pettis and Deputy Tommy Martin are the first to arrive. And so they get to the scene. And so the one of the sheriff, damn it, my laptop's really going to go ludicrous speed on me right now, or is that yours? So um, the two sheriffs, the sheriff and the deputy are there, and um, one of them had started thinking, okay, well, recently there was a missing persons report filed. Possibly this is the torso of that person. He didn't know for sure, but it was in the back of his mind, okay. So they the crime scene unit arrives, and they close off the area, uh, and the first two things that stand out to the investigators are, one, the size of the torso, and two, the lack of blood at the scene. There's literally no blood anywhere. It's just very clean. Um, so they took the torso and sent it to the medical examiner's office. So they also noticed that around where they found the torso, there were several clumps of cow manure. <laughs> several clumps of what? <laughs> How did you spell it? I wish I could blame my bad spelling, but it's spelled correctly. Did I say manure? <laughs> We're just going to go ahead and say there was some cow manure there. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. Okay, I lost my spot. I can't even see. What? Manure. Manure. That's what he said, manure. <laughs> manure? Cow manure. So there was some cow shit close to where they found the torso. But the strange thing is there hadn't been any cattle in that area for a while um, because there are no fences around it. So you can't have cows there if there's no fences. Mm -hmm. They measured the width and the turn radius of the tire tracks and um, the tracks of the car or the tracks that they saw stopped where the torso was found. They they did a little dumping. so, mm -hmm. So let me cite my sources really quickly. There are, there's an episode called Extreme Forensics. It was season, so it's on three. Season two, episode four. It's also on Autopsy HBO. 
season one, episode one. It's just a really quick snippet. And then Snapped, season 21, episode 41, episode 14. That is where I found the story on the Snapped. And then I found it on others. I also got some of this information from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram and the Abilene Reporter News. So those are my sources. Okay, let's go back to where we were. So remember, one of the deputies remembered that there was a missing persons report filed recently. Mm -hmm. So the person that they said was missing was a guy by the name of Casey Elliott. Um, and they were suspicious that that's who their victim was. Um, he was reported missing the day before, actually. Um, so they go start digging into his past. They find out that he had been living with his girlfriend and her name um, is Helen Moore. And her two sons, Chad and Michael, um, lived there with he lived there with her. They lived in Newcastle for five years. Uh, and her oldest, her youngest son, Chad, really did like um, Casey a lot. His favorite spot to watch TV was to lay along Casey's side in the recliner and they would watch TV together because he said Casey was like his big old pillow. Mm -hmm. And then the older boy would ride in the truck with Casey. Um, he called him his hauling buddy. Um, Casey was the, the Casey Elliott guy was, he was a rodeo enthusiast and he specialized in roping. Um, they said he was six, six and weighed 300 pounds. Jeez. I uh, wonder if the size mm -hmm. of the was large. Uh, he'd been working for a trunking trucking company in Graham, Texas for the past two years, and he was the star employee, they said. Um, but when he didn't show up for work that day, everybody knew that something was wrong. So mm -hmm. he was like, went missing one day, and they found him They the found him day. the very next Dang. day. Mm -hmm. That person wasted no time. No time. Uh, and just for my NASCAR listeners, this is not the same driver, Casey Elliott, but the driver, the Casey Elliott NASCAR driver, passed away in January of 96 from cancer. How odd is that? That's that this odd. story happened in January of 96, and this, our victim is Casey Elliott, which I don't know if we've 100% confirmed it in this part yet, but mm -hmm. I think it's weird. So we have this guy found in January of 96, and someone with the same name, NASCAR driver, passed away of cancer that in, in the same month. I don't know That's if it's crazy. the same day, but the same month and year. Yeah. That is crazy. Um, so the Snapped episode explains that Helen has four children. Um, they, they said three boys and a girl, saying that the, the two younger boys are from Terry Moore, which she was married to him for over 10 years. Um, when her husband Terry passed away, she fell into a very deep depression and so she was living out in the country and Casey comes up knocking on her door asking if he can use her bathroom because his wasn't working. Uh, and then that's how they met. And he just started coming over more and more often and spending more time with her and her younger son. So that's how they met. So Casey's parents give blood samples to see if their DNA matches the torso. But of course, it takes weeks for those results to come back. What as a parent, can you imagine how agonizing that must be? I can't imagine. And like. Let's just say they were like, well, you can look at the remains. Like how, unless they have like a distinguishing mark, how could you look at a torso and know if that's your child? I mean, I feel like as a mother, you may be able to feel it. You may not want to admit it, but you might be able to feel it. Yep. You know, but also how would you know? I don't know, but you're right. It's got to be agonizing. The person that does the autopsy is named Joseph Prollo. And he says there were no outward signs of trauma that would suggest an obvious cause of death. There was no head, no hands, and no legs. 
So based on what he could see, he was sure that the dismemberment occurred post-mortem. The autopsy revealed... Well, thank God for that. Hmm. What do you mean? That it was done after death. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, as one small miracle. I mean, remember this guy was 6'6", and he weighed 300 pounds. So this person must have really known what they were doing to be able to knock out a six foot six man, 300 pounds, mm -hmm. and be able to incapacitate them, to be able to kill them, and then chop them up. He said the autopsy revealed that whoever dismembered the body knew how to butcher an animal, um, severing the heads and limbs cleanly at the joints. Okay. Maybe he worked at the meat market. Who knows? Hunter, yeah. Um, he performed toxicology on the torso, but like the blood samples, that takes a long time. So at this point, we don't really know positively if it's him or not. So they go and talk to the people that work with Casey. So his boss, Karen, said that Casey called had called in sick the previous Tuesday complaining of flu-like symptoms. So she told him, stay home and get some rest. But the next day, she received a strange phone call from his girlfriend, Helen, saying... He might not be at work for a while. So, of course, everybody's suspicious of her. They're like, well, she did it. that's not him. Like, that's not like him to do that. And to have her call for him was yeah. weird. Yeah. Um, so, Helen, so they go talk to her. And she's like, okay, um, Casey and I got into a fight. And she said she took him down to the end of the road where they lived and let him out. And he took off walking. Um, why? And this is a story she told um, Casey's boss. The cops go and talk to her, and they tell her the same. She tells them the same story, that they got in a fight, and he took off walk. She dropped him off at the end, and he took off walking. And she told them that it was quite common that he would he did that, and he would go and then be back within a few days, usually. She said they argued over money and family responsibilities. So they go look. His truck is there, so they go look in his truck, and on the front seat they found his keys and his wallet. Why would he leave his keys and wallet there? Who who would take off? If you're going to take off for a few days, you would at least need your wallet. Maybe if not your keys, but like if he was... And if, why would you just leave him in the front seat of your truck? I know, and it seems like they were placed they there, right? Yeah, and not, Suspicious. I would think if y'all got in a fight and she's like, let's go for a drive, maybe you left them at home. Yep. Maybe. At, at weird, or in her car. Yeah. Not in your truck. Yeah. That you're not in. Very weird. And so my notes say in the snapped episode, the timing of this situation, what I just explained, was different. They say the detectives visit Helen because of the missing persons report that his dad filed. Um, they say even though Casey was a truck driver and would be gone for days at a time, his dad confirmed that uh, his rig was parked at the trucking company. And while they are talking to her, they get a call on the radio about a torso found near Possum Kingdom Lake. So the timing, based on... What I had, the timing in the snapped episode is a little different. Like, yeah. like they didn't talk to her because of what the boss said. They mm -hmm. talked to her because of the missing persons report. And while they're there, they get the call about their torso being found. So I don't know which no. is right. But regardless, yeah. they found either, the torso. Either way. They talked to her. Either way, it would prompt them to talk to her. Exactly. She would have been a person of an interest. Absolutely. If she had seen him last. They start searching all around the lake for the rest of the body, Right. They use a dive team. They had people on horseback checking all the shores of the lake. One of the things they found that was unusual was blood on the front porch and in the yard. Mm -hmm. They ask her about it, and she says it was a potbelly pig that they had to shoot. She said the pig had been injured by some dogs. Um, so later on, Helen's son and one of his friends shot the pig and hauled it off. So the investigators are like, you know what? We're just going to hang out here and talk to your son when he gets home from school. 
So they do that. And of course, the son confirms that the dogs had bitten and chewed up the pig, so they shot it and hauled it off in the trailer. There was, in fact, a pig in the trailer when the deputies went and checked it. So that part checked out. Um, okay, and then I've got some more discrepancies here. I wrote, in the snapped episode, they say they bring Helen in for questioning. Is that, And that's when she tells them about the pig getting attacked by the dogs. But they didn't have any physical evidence, so they let her go. So still a little different. And I know sometimes when they do those episodes, they'll do a little bit of a dramatization. Mm-hmm. So, but it aggravates me when the timelines don't line up, right. you know? So weeks pass with no suspects and no leads. Then the DNA results come back from the crime lab. Crime lab. I said it right <laughs> that time. And now for sure they confirmed that the torso was in fact Casey Elliott. So it's 100%. So the investigators are chasing down every single lead. The toxicology results finally come back from the lab. It shows, it shows the presence of morphine at lethal levels. He said there was as much as 23 times as much what would be considered a lethal dose. How do you take down a 300-pound man? Depending on the size of the person and what's going on with them, it could take hours or it could take a couple of doses. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine... If it's that much times, I can't imagine how much he was given. Um, so they talked to his mom. And, and that's after it's been metabolized a little bit. Yeah, who knows how long. I mean, he wasn't out there long if he wasn't decomposed or anything like that, right? No, but I mean, she could she or he. Okay. Because <laughs> I feel like this girlfriend, something's not right here. It's a little suspect, um, for but sure. But also, if, I mean, I don't know if she's a big or small girl, but I can't imagine her being big enough to take down that much of a man. But it would make sense why she would use morphine, because that'd be all that she could use. Um, but it also depends on how it's given. If it was given sublingually or in his food, she's going to have to put in a lot more to make sure he absorbs enough. Yeah. But if she's giving him an injection somewhere, she wouldn't need as much going straight into the bloodstream. That's true. It would be instantaneous, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so they, they talked to his mom, and she confirms he wasn't a big drinker, and he wasn't he didn't do drugs. He drank here and there, but not a lot. So they're they're saying, okay, well, we feel like, they talked to the medical examiner again who says he had to have been poisoned. Like that was, yeah, it was very intentional. He had that much in his system that somebody used that to poison him. It sounds like maybe it was given his food or his drinks because it would make sense that way. Because if, if, if he or she gave him some and he wasn't enough to take him down, they gave him a little bit more and a little bit more. Yeah. A little bit more until finally he has enough in the system to knock him out. Okay, so once word spread throughout the small town, a rumor started. Rumors about Casey, Helen's son, and his friend partying together a lot. Police bring in her son and his friend for questioning. Both of the teenagers agreed to polygraph, and after about three or four hours of very tense questioning, they both passed. So they had nothing to do with it. They didn't party with him or drink with him. That was just a rumor. They're stuck. They have no release, so they're going to go back and talk to Helen again. But this time they said that her attitude was totally different. They said she was tough and cold. Um, one of the detectives noticed that there wasn't any carpet in the house. Uh, they asked her about it and she told them it was very dirty and messy and the dogs had ruined it and that she and Casey argued about it. So she ripped it out and burned it. And I wrote, she is so dumb for real. <laughs> Casey's father, Gary, is really, he's frustrated. It's taking too long. He doesn't know much of except for you know what happened but he doesn't know who or anything so he decides to do some detective work on his own so he discovers that shortly after his son went missing uh he noticed a horse trailer that helen had borrowed 
that was on their property was, wasn't there anymore. Um, and she borrowed it for two years and now all of a sudden it's gone. The neighbor, he went and talked to the neighbor. She borrowed it and then just brought it back. It just appeared. She didn't call and say, hey, I'm bringing it back. Just one day she had borrowed it. And then after this happened, all of a sudden the horse trailer showed up in their neighbor's yard again. The one she borrowed it from. Okay. okay. No explanation. Casey's dad also remembered there was a Bronco on the property as well. So he compared the tracks found by his son's torso to the tires on the Bronco. And visually it looked like they matched up. As specifically with the Bronco and the horse trailer being pulled behind it, like the, the spacing and everything would have matched up great. So while the dad is doing his own research, uh, a local insurance company hears about this story and calls the sheriff and says, hey, Helen had taken out a life insurance policy on Casey for 150 grand two months before he died. Oh, this fucking dumbass. She's so stupid. Convenient. Of course. Could she be more obvious? Exactly. The autopsy episode says the policy was 130 grand and taken out four months before he died. But whatever, it was over 100 grand and it was taken out several months before he it's died. It's really not that much money when it comes to It's murder. not for someone's life. No, I mean, come on. I mean, no, everyone's life is priceless. I mean, if it was like half a million, I'd be like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I mean, that's a lot of cash. I mean, that's life changing. Yeah. Not not that a hundred grand isn't. Like, I could pay off all of my debt yeah, but, with that. But that would be it. It's you know, not, like, it's not. Maybe invest a little bit here and there. Maybe yeah. buy a few things. Go, maybe go on a trip. But it's just not really a lot of money. Half a mil is life yeah, changing. Yeah, absolutely. hundred grand is, I'm out of debt. Now I'm going to go get in debt again. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what, what is the show I've been binging with Tyler the Alone? They do that for oh, I love that show. dollars They yeah. survive on their own. They starve themselves. They risk their lives. They get hurt. For 500000 I couldn't do that. But murder? I'm no. gonna need way more than five hundred. I'm gonna need like. I'm gonna million. need like. I'm gonna five need mil. enough that I can go live in a non, extra extra dieting place where I can just live. What about my my conscience would not let me. Oh no! Well, it depends on the person and what they did. That's true. Okay, that's true. I no, mean, if somebody's I, like, hey, this is what they did to my daughter. They yeah, they molested my daughter. They raped. Oh yeah, my I daughter, could do that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then you know, or they. They beat her and they molested her. They kidnapped her. I'd be like, you wouldn't even, even have anymore. to pay me. I wouldn't even know. I don't yeah. even know anymore. No, pay me enough so that I can go live on an island away from people for the rest of my life. Set me up with cash, and done. Disclaimer: We are not <laughs> saying that we that we are starting <laughs> please, a. Please do not send me any hit hit men. Emails. We are definitely not hit women, but if you need some help, you can. So. <laughs> So with this information about the life insurance policy, they decide to take a closer look at her background. And the show said, the story plays out like a woeful country song, oh, which no. I thought was funny. So what they found out was that Helen had been married three times. Two of her ex-husbands also died. One supposedly died in a hay baling accident. What the hay? What the hay with the bale? And the other died of cancer in November of 1990. And learned that during the final days of her second husband's life that was dying of cancer, was administering him morphine. So Casey's sister, Jackie Snow, referred to Helen as rough through and through, and Trailer Park Trash describes her to a T. And Casey's mom said she figured the relationship between her son and Helen would eventually blow over, but it didn't. She said, 
I guess that's my cross to bear. Sad. Okay, so now we're in March of 96. Sheriff Pettis said a human head wrapped in a plastic garbage bag was found in a damp creek bed a quarter mile from Eliasville. Based on visual observation, he is very confident that it is Casey's. Uh, The sheriff was assisted by cadaver detection dogs from Fort Worth search and rescue team. They spotted the garbage bag submerged in several inches of water in Young County. They found his torso in January. Now they find his head. They're still missing his limbs. Okay, so the investigators are pretty sure that Helen is responsible for the death and dismemberment of her live-in boyfriend, but so far, everything is all circumstantial. I mean, they don't she have any... all the boxes. She does. She knows what the fuck she's doing. Yeah. I mean, well, she made is... mistakes, like, with the carpet. That's really stupid, but, like, they don't well, have any hard evidence on her right now. No, I always go back to motive, and she had more than enough motive. She took out the, the life insurance policy months before, so she was premeditated. She had the means... And the means make sense to how he died. Yep. So to me, it's a clear-cut picture. Yeah. You know, if but, she didn't have those medications from previously, I'd wonder how, how I would expect it to have been a nurse or a retired nurse. Right. Um, but because or she just have access to it from a different means. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So um, Casey's dad is still, he still hasn't given up. He, he thinks this horse trailer that was suddenly returned to the neighbor was used by Helen during the murder. So he decides to crawl under the trailer and he saw what he thought was rust or maybe blood on the wood frame underneath. So him and Casey's boss, Karen, they shared this information with the detectives. So the detectives go and they go ahead and arrest and charge Helen with the murder of Casey Elliott. And she lawyers up and refuses to talk. So then they remember the cow shit that was found at the scene, right? They're like, so they search inside the horse trailer and so he took some of the manure from the trailer and then he gets some samples from what they thought was rust underneath the trailer. Um, and they removed some of the boards and took all this to the crime lab for the cow shit and the boards that they thought had mm-hmm. rust on there. So they send the cow shit off to uh, Dr. Tam Garland, who's a toxicologist and veterinarian in College Station, Texas. And so... This is her first case that she said she had to deal with uh, human homicide. She usually uh, does animals. So she examines it and finds uh, red specks in it, which is interesting. But the trailer, the horse trailer, was painted red. The same red paint specks were also found in the manure at the crime scene. So that ties it together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now they have physical evidence. And how did the paint chips get into the poop? That's what I wrote. The cows probably ate hay. From inside the trailer, and they're probably paint chips from well, the outside, right? Um, they actually said that the cattle like to chew on the trailer. They'll oh. actually chew on it itself. They want to check the floorboards that they took out of the trailer for blood, but they knew that that pig was in there too, and they're worried, can they differentiate between pig blood and human blood? But they sent it to um, Carolyn Van Winkle of Dallas County Forensic Analyst, and she was able to differentiate, but there was both human and pig blood, and the human blood did was proven to be Casey's. Mm-hmm. So they feel like that is where she, he was dismembered, is in the horse trailer. So uh, District Attorney Jerry Ray... And she would probably need that big of a space. Yeah, because he weighed 300 pounds, right? Yeah. And he was 6'6", so yeah. he wasn't a small and guy. Don't the horse trailers have um, like openings in the floor? 
Like it's not completely solid, right? I think this one was solid, which is why okay. they had to remove the boards. Oh, you know what? I think some of them are and some of them aren't. Yeah. Can't be too big because they don't want their feet to fall yeah. through. Um, so, of course, the, the district attorney is like her buying the insurance policy several months before is huge. The charge of capital murder carried with it the death penalty, and that's what they were trying to do. So the night before the trial, the district attorney tries to make a one-time offer in exchange for her to confess. They really want her to confess because there's too much they don't know yet, mm -hmm. right? They told her, if you'll confess, you won't get the death penalty. So Helen and her attorney agree to the deal so she's going to tell them everything that happened of course in the snap episode it's different because they say helen's attorney calls the da the day before saying that she's willing to plead guilty uh and this caught the prosecutors and investigators by surprise but at this point she denied she had anything to do with casey's murder so it's different and that frustrates the piss out of me kate she tells them this is her confession that, that Casey was feeling sick, so she started giving him morphine over the next couple of days. He became dizzy and nauseous as the day, days go by. Exactly when this turned from taking care of her boyfriend to a murder plot, Hella wouldn't say. <laughs> so she told him, here's your answer. She poured liquid morphine into a 7-Up and he drank it. That's how she poisoned him. In order to move his, this is the part that I was like, I had, I was like, oh my God, mom, okay. In order to move his body from the bedroom to the horse trailer, because this is a small woman, she rigged up a makeshift rope and pulley system. She took a canvas tarp and placed it next to the bed, because Casey died in the bed. She rolled him off the bed and onto the tarp. She wrapped him in the tarp and tied rope around him. She ran the rope through the back door into the trailer and tied it to the trailer hitch of the Bronco. So it went from him all the way down the house, through the trailer, onto the hitch Where of the Bronco. Kids? Uh, that's a great question. Then, using the Bronco, she pulled him from the bedroom into the hallway, <clears throat> out the back door into the trailer. Then she dismembered him into eight separate pieces in the trailer using a saw and knife. She said after that... A handsaw and it says a saw and knife. I don't, it didn't, it's not any more specific than that. She said after that, she got drunk and went driving around throwing body parts off of bridges. They asked her why she did it. She said she was tired of him. He wouldn't pay his way and he wouldn't leave. But money wasn't a motive. So the life insurance policy was what? Yeah. Mo and money how old wasn't was a motive. He, um, he was only 28. Yeah. So. Yeah. Why, why would you? I mean, why would you have a life insurance policy? That's a great question. Especially all of a sudden, you guys aren't even married, right? But you feel like you have to go get take out a life insurance policy on your live-in boyfriend. And why would That's, the first thing you give someone when they don't feel good morphine? Yeah, morphine is for intense. And of course, you're gonna get you're gonna get nauseous. Yeah. Like when we were giving dad his pain, we had to give him Zofran and stuff with it because it would make him feel nauseous. Well, and so. If she's giving him sublingual orally, yeah, he's then drinking it's going it into his stomach. It's not being dissolved into his bloodstream. It's not a gastrointestinal medication. She gave it. He drank it with a Seven Up. Yeah. And like anytime somebody's like, I don't feel good. I'm not like, oh, let's give you some morphine. Yeah, that's it's such like, a lame ass. Do you remember ass... when you got morphine when you broke your arm? Yes, I didn't even remember it. Like and you got it by IV. Well, and that I remember. God dang it. 
I remember that they were talking to me and telling me they were getting ready to move my arm. And I was like, no, please don't. I'm not ready. And they're like, okay, we'll give you some meds. And I remember that part. And then I then I remember us she was leaving. Like, oh, I'm really lightheaded. I'm floating. I'm floating. And then like And I because I thought even the next day that I still had the same wrap on that I had when I left the rink. Yeah, and you were like, no, sister, they took that off and put this other shit on. And so I don't remember any of it. I, yeah. I remember like up to it and being afraid that they were gonna move my arm. But I didn't remember that whole thing. You were and like, you no. Were in so much pain. It was awful to watch. But I'm glad you don't remember that. I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. I'm so glad. It makes my stomach hurt thinking about it. Okay. So she said she was tired of him. He wouldn't pay his way and he wouldn't leave. So now we're in May of 96. Authorities uh, searching a dry creek bed in Stevens County found a human leg that they believe is that of Casey Elliott's. Searchers found the leg about 9 a.m., four miles south of US 180 along Farm Road 717. So now we have... A leg, his head, and his torso. That's still in his head. His head, head, a torso, and a leg. So you're missing a leg and two arms. Mm -hmm. So finally, in August of 1996, Helen Moore is sentenced to life in prison without parole for the murder of Casey Elliott. Casey's mom, Judy, wrote a letter to Helen. Here's what it said. Some say we should hate and despise you for brutally murdering our son, our brother, and our friend, Casey. Few would blame us for any kind of revenge we take because you deprived us of the life of our firstborn son, the only son who could carry on his father's name, or the big brother who taught us how to ride a horse, rope a calf, tie our shoes, and even pray the kind of blessing at the table that only Casey could dream up. Here here was his prayer. God is good. God is great. I hope I get the biggest plate. (laughs) People tell me we should feel justified in exercising the biblical principle of an eye for an eye because you have killed a man who understood that success was measured by the qualities Casey showed as an employee. He was such a good and faithful employee that his employers insisted that he couldn't do something so out of character as not showing up for work without calling in. So they fought for someone to look for him when he was missing. It is true that we will not celebrate Thanksgiving or Christmas or Mother's Day or Father's Day with Casey again. We will never celebrate the birth and life of a grandchild from Casey. Your own son, Michael, lost his hero the day you murdered Casey. Ironically, they tell us you did it to get money to buy Michael a horse. Only a mind as evil and perverted as yours could trade a hero for a horse. Or was it 30 pieces of silver? And now you tell us that you have gotten religion. Many claim this when faced with sure and swift conviction. But since the beginning of time, those who cause death and destruction make this claim, when in reality we know that they are not very sorry for what they did, but are truly sorry that they got caught. Mm -hmm. But you could not destroy Casey's good name. Even after the sheriff's people and the Texas Rangers investigated him, they found him to be just a simple cowboy, straight as an arrow, whose word and handshake was still good in the circles he traveled. So we have won. Not because of anything man could and is charged by law to do to you, but because if you had read the end of the Bible, you would know that good always wins over evil. We don't need revenge because Casey left us such memories you could never share or take away. Now we're in 2016. She's been in, Helen has been in jail for 20 years, but now she has a new story. Oh, are you ready? Her boyfriend wasn't the gentle giant people believed him to be. She said he was verbally abusive at first, and then it became physical. 
She claims that for almost five years, she had been a prisoner in her own home. She said that he told her stuff like, nobody wants you. You couldn't find anybody else. If you try to leave me, I'll either hurt you or one of your children. So despite, despite the abuse, Helen said she had nothing to do with killing Casey or dismembering him. She says, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that to a human being. However, you gave exactly explicit instructions of how you did it, and evidence doesn't lie. No, and it all points to her confession. But she says she know who did. She said it was one of her sons. What an awful This woman is coming out 20 years later. She said she claims that Casey was sexually abusive to her boys. So rather than see one of her children suffer in prison, she sacrificed herself instead. She was trying to cover up for someone she loved. She said she didn't want to put their lives in jeopardy or fear at that time. But now after two decades in prison, she said that she is tired of suffering for someone else's crime. She says she isn't going to live in fear anymore. Did she not remember life without parole? She could change her story 30 times and it can change. But like if you were so protective of your children 20 years ago, now all of a sudden you're going to throw one of them under the bus. If, you, if that were really true, if that were really true, you're not the kind of person that's going to come out 20 years later and, and come clean. You're going to, if you're so worried about it, you're going to bite that bullet for your children until you die. And I don't think her personality or her demeanor or who she was as a person was someone that would have put up with that. Because she didn't have a problem killing off one and then helping another one go. Yeah. Why would it be so hard for you to leave him? Absolutely. Because your way out is to kill them. That's yeah. what you do. So the prosecutor that put Helen in prison is still very convinced that her original 1996 confession was genuine. Because mm-hmm. like you said, all of the evidence points to it. And when I saw that part of the episode, I was, I was like, I cannot believe like, how quickly she thought that up. Like, I would not think to do that. Not to mention she turned, on, she turned on one of her own children and accused them of murder. But she no longer has contact with her children. They don't talk to her. I don't blame her. Um, I don't blame them. They, oh. uh, they said she'll be eligible for parole in 2026 when she's 71 years old. Um, she's in Mountain View, which is in Gatesville. And sadly, the rest of Casey Elliott's remains were, were never found. Oh, Crazy story, huh? Crazy. I would have never... I mean, I can see how they'd be like, oh, well, his girlfriend's off the hook. Because well, I mean, cause that's you know? when they saw her, they were like, there's no way because she was had small frame and he was so big and that I wrote it off too. And then whenever she did the confession and said how she did it, I was like, Oh my God, mom, you have to come in here and watch this scene. And they would have noticed if they saw her, if she was covered in bruises Mm -hmm. or had black eyes or something, they would have noticed that. And they would have been like, why is she bruised? You know, Mm -hmm. because if they just got in a fight a couple of days ago, they would be new bruises. Absolutely. Rest in peace, Casey Elliott. Yes, rest in peace, Casey Boyd and I Elliott. Hope your parole's denied in twenty twenty. Me too. Bitch, we'll be there to make sure you don't get your parole. I bet if her, if his parents are still alive, I bet they do. I bet there's people in his family that will go and make sure that she's not paroled. Just because you're eligible doesn't mean you're going to get paroled. But that's the story. That's a good one. Thank you. I thought it was good. I like it a lot. Okay, well that's a wrap from the gap. <laughs> one back after a while yep and we love you guys thanks for your support and listening like share subscribe (laughs) all the the social medias so until next time until next time bye y'all bye y'all